This Week in Oklahoma Politics is sponsored by Oklahoma State Medical Association, physicians dedicated to providing and increasing access to health care for all Oklahomans. More on its vision and mission at okmed.org. For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. After an arrest for public intoxication, Broken Arrow Republican Representative Dean Davis was censured by the state house. Oklahoma City Police took Davis into custody last Thursday. Lawmakers stripped Davis of his committee assignments pending a formal apology. Neva, what do you think of this censure? Well, another day out of the legislative calendar for the House spent uh, on, a le- on a censure. And so uh, really what we had, it, it seemed that what the um, uh, House keyed in on is the fact that they wanted to take action in the same manner as they had previously this session uh, with respect to Representative Mari Turner. And ironically, um, there, was not, there was not really a lot of... Uh, Uh, give and take, back and forth on this. It was really, I think, the twist of Representative Turner who uh, showed uh, a couple of things. One, she was only, she was really the only one that kind of rose to uh, the discussion on this matter. And secondly, it appears, I mean, take away the political theater of all of this, it appears that to some, it shows the weakness of the Democrat caucus. I mean, in that you had nine Democrats uh, who, you know, including Representative Turner, uh, who basically uh, split, you know, split on this. And I think in the instance of looking at the, at the big picture, again, is it, is it a case of, with respect to the Democrats, that we have uh, Minority Leader Munson really having difficulty being able to uh, have a unified caucus, caucus, which you would have assumed on a matter like this would have been almost a non-starter. So um, I, think, I think we've heard what, we've go- what we're going to hear on this uh, matter, and uh, hopefully there won't be future incidents, at least <laughs> in this legislative session, where they have to get back to uh, this, same, this same conversation because it's not helpful to anyone. And I think, uh, I think that was basically what many of the lawmakers were saying privately is, look, I mean, this does not make any of us look good when this is the headline, this is the conversation that kind of blurs everything else more important on the on the calendar that we need to take care of business. Right. You know, I'll start. I don't think that it shows weakness in the Democratic caucus at all. There was no caucus position on this. You know, Representative Turner had their viewpoint on that the fact that they didn't believe that the legislature should be using the power of censure to uh, uh, you know, affect political points uh, against members or to put them, uh, I think, as they said, in political jail uh, at the state capitol. And, you know, I respectfully disagree with that position, but but I also think that, uh, you know, there wasn't a caucus position. You had uh, legitimate views on both sides. And I'll say that, you know, Leader Munson is an extraordinary leader, and I think that uh, absolutely the right leader for the right time, and manages a uh, a, a caucus that has, you know, very diverse viewpoints uh, and comes from very many different walks of life, but you see them consolidate on a lot of uh, really important issues. So I don't think that this really speaks to the Democratic caucus at all. You know, I, I do think that there probably needs to be some education in the legislature about what that uh, that privileges uh, that state legislators have, what that actually means. Um, and here, and I'll distinguish this from the instance with Representative Turner. Representative Turner's case, I think, is one where members on the day that they were voting for censure still had, uh, or at least they should have had, legitimate questions as to what actually happened. Was there an abuse of power? And if so, what was it? And I don't think that members, when they are considering that on that day, knew enough. 
on this instance, there's cameras. Uh, we had the we had the video, we had the receipts, and you saw uh, an effort by a member of the legislature to use their position as a member of the legislature to avoid arrest. Um, you know, the the question of whether or not Representative Davis is guilty of public intoxication. He's innocent until proven guilty. I mean, that's a matter for the judicial system to, to, to work its way out, and we'll see what happens there. But um, with regard to the abuse of power, that is definitely something that's within the jurisdiction of the state legislature and the state House of Representatives. Uh, I, you know, I think Leader Eccles did a, a good thing by bringing it forward. Um, it is regrettable that the uh, we had multiple caucus meetings, both the Democratic caucus and the Republican caucus, spending time talking about this. But it is an important conversation. The, the privileges of a member are not diplomatic immunity. You do not have uh, immunity from arrest. You do not have immunity from prosecution. What you have immunity from is detention on your way to and from the legislature to a vote. And if you take that back to, you know, wh- why do we have that? Well, go back to the Magna Carta. Uh, you know, the the idea that the king's soldiers could stop members of parliament from going to a vote to make a vote adverse to the king is the reason that we have privileges like this, where you know a county sheriff couldn't detain a member that was going to go to the legislature and cast a vote <coughs> adverse to county sheriffs. Uh, but it does not mean that you know they, they can't stop you. That doesn't mean that eventually you can't be arrested or prosecuted. And if you're not on your way to or from the Capitol or actually at the Capitol, uh, that privilege doesn't extend at all. And I think that's an important point, I mean, for listeners uh, to understand about this whole episode, is that it was not about the um, arrest for public intoxication. Uh, It was about the misuse of uh, his office to try to evade uh, arrest, period. And so, and I think the other point, I mean, uh, we can kind of go back and forth on, you know, kind of the um, the question on the on the caucuses and strengths and weaknesses. But I think in the instance, Ryan, of uh, whether or not on the day that they uh, had the censure on Representative Turner, whether or not they knew what they knew, it still was a party line vote that day. And I mean, that on that day, it was 81 to 19. It was a straight party line vote um, of the members uh, in the chamber. And that was very different than what we saw with the censure this week. Earlier this week, three state Senate panels amended and passed signature education bills from the House. The move has caused something of a stalemate. House Speaker Charles McCall says his chamber won't hear the amended bills, but Senate President Pro Tem Greg Treat says his chamber won't be deterred from moving forward with the measures. The legislation from the House and Senate both include pay raises for teachers. Ryan, is this impasse going to impact an increase in salaries for states' educators? I think it's going to impact the ultimate piece of legislation that the that the House and the Senate send to the governor. I, I think that we're we're still, uh, you know, if, if we're putting odds on things, which I don't know that we, we haven't passed online betting yet, so, you know, don't do it online. But if we were putting it... I would know, never bet on the legislature. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, well, some bets you can take, you know, the, uh, volatility in, in March uh, and April. Gamesmanship and brinksmanship. Absolutely, and, yeah. yeah. Those, those, those things are definitely going to happen. That's death and taxes in the Oklahoma legislature. So uh, I think we're a long ways away from uh, the end of session. You know, I, I do feel like we have a lot of posturing right now. And we see kind of the, the retorts going back and forth, the dueling press conferences between the speaker and the president pro temp. Um, underneath all of that, uh, as irritated as both of those leaders may become at each other uh, and their members and their bodies may become uh, at each other, uh, that's, um, that's, that's typical. I, but underneath all of that, they are colleagues. Uh, they have a good relationship. Um, I, I, I sincerely doubt that the entire conversation between now and the end of May will be made through the headlines and, and through quotes in the, in the newspaper. Um, and, 
you know, this this is the kind of posturing that that I think ultimately will lead to some sort of negotiated uh, uh, bill or a couple of bills before the end of session. I, I don't think that either the if you look at the shared goals i don't think that either speaker mccall or uh president pro temp greg treat want to walk out of this legislative session without some sort of bill uh dealing with teacher pay raise uh and any you know and some sort of voucher whether they call a tax credit or not i think that that will probably be a part of the mix um you know what what that price tag is uh and and how much it actually will be that's what we don't know right now Neva. And I think that's right. I mean, it, it's the give and take through the through the process as it moves through both chambers, no question. And what you saw in the Senate was basically gutting uh, these two House bills. I mean, and infusing what they want what they want from the Senate perspective, and they they're wildly different. I mean, so uh, at the end of all of this, when you start looking at at the differences that the Senate has outlined, I mean, they 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 are much more uh, focused on the private school families. Uh, the tax credit uh, actually jumping the number that the house had of five thousand dollars to seventy five hundred dollars, uh, but then on the homeschool families, which in the house uh, version uh, was twenty five hundred dollars per student, they rolled it uh, down to a thousand dollars for the entire household, no matter how many students in the household. And then you had a lot of other differences. I mean, the the teacher the teacher pay is certainly a big difference. Uh, the Senate says they want this minimum of minimum salaries from. Uh, uh, three to uh, or ra- raises uh, from three to six thousand dollars, but they also want a thirty million dollar grant program. I think it is, which basically is a merit uh, a merit bonus uh, system that they want to put in place for both teachers and support uh, uh, personnel. So uh, very different from just the across the board um, that the uh, that the that the House uh, had in their bill. And it goes on and on. I mean, the the two million dollar cap, uh, um, doing away with it, redirecting uh, money to the education funding formula, the Senate version, and you know the the Senate says, hey, our 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 plan costs uh, less than the House plan. There, our our plan, I think the figure on the Senate side they were saying was six hundred and thirty million. The House figure was eight hundred million. It that's really not the deal breaker. I think you're right, Ryan. Now we have all of this set on the table. We have the kind of the full array of what uh, is out there to uh, be negotiated. And now it will be incumbent upon the, uh, the, um, uh, the folks in the budget process, uh, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the key folks and players in all of these negotiations that we always see at the end in concert with the governor's office uh, who came out in favor of the, of the, House, of, of the House bill. I think the question now, and we'll watch with great interest this week and perhaps next, is will the Senate be able to, what, what will happen when it actually comes to a vote on the floor of the Senate if it does? And some of that's kind of deja vu looking back to last session when they had the same issues in the Senate on whether or not they could get something across the finish line uh, on this on this big education debate. So it's fascinating, but I agree with you. It's not really anything new. It's just uh, more headlines and more conversation and more details being thrown out there every day. And Pro Tem Treat wants to avoid what happened last year where they held the vote open, you know, till after, I think it was after midnight, uh, and they still couldn't get the votes to pass, you know, his his voucher plan off of the Senate floor, which was a, which was a huge political loss for the Pro Tem. Absolutely. And I think the other thing, I mean, we're seeing some other back, you know, kind of backroom 
you know, kind of backroom drama, I would call it a little bit. I mean, we, we saw uh, a letter in circulation this week from CPAC, which is, uh, um, it is really the group that's affiliated with the, uh, uh, um, the most conservative and longest uh, conservative uh, grassroots organization in the country. And, you know, when you see the American Conservative Union, AC, the ACU, and others come out and basically say, look, um, we're going to really kind of score you down if you go for something other than these House bills, because these, this is the direction that we have seen in other states and we, we see would be a positive for Oklahoma. That puts pressure on, you know, that, that again puts pressure on this entire debate in terms of these folks that come in from the outside that have resources and have relationships with legislators and others. And weighing in this early in this process, I thought was a little unusual, but it does show that there's going to be some high stakes uh, on the table before this is all said and done. Interesting to see the conservative groups back the uh, the plan with a bigger price tag on it. Uh, and I think one of the things we'll see develop over the course of the session now is going to be the divide between rural and urban lawmakers, mm-hmm. uh, metropolitan lawmakers, because the, the funding formula, there was, there was a cap in the House bills that was going to favor rural districts uh, more than the metropolitan districts. Uh, and in the Senate plan, they took that out. And so you had you know more of uh, you know equal distribution among the funding formula. <clears throat> so you've got a more rural uh, uh, majority in the Oklahoma House of Representatives uh, than you do in the Senate. And so that, you know, I'm sure that that's going to play out, you know, somewhat over the course of this session. And there's been some pretty pointed uh, comments made back and forth, I mean, by uh, President Pro Trim Treat, I mean, basically uh, on the, the the McCall proposal in that uh, he said that it it, 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 it does distinguish, uh, he felt like, in, in the wrong way, differences between children based on uh, where they lived. And I think it's, it's this kind of rhetoric that gets the headlines, but it will be, as you say, Ryan, these these men have worked together year in and year out in their positions of leadership. I think we will see that continue through this process, but it's, it's very clear that there's very strong differences of opinion on what the big package on education needs to look like this session. Last week marked one of the first major deadlines at the state capitol as bills had to be passed out of their chambers of origin. This week marks the halfway point as the legislature begins its downhill slide to sine die on May 26th. So are there any bills you are still watching? Neva, let's start with you. Well, you know, first of all, when you think about it, we started with 3,100 bills this session. <laughs> uh, we're, we're now down to under 1,000, and that includes the budget and JCAB bills. So we're, we're quickly culling through. Uh, two-thirds of those uh, bills have, uh, uh, have kind of gone on the floor, and we're now really focused on uh, what's left. And it, it, it's interesting, one of the bills that uh, was more kind of inside the Capitol, more than discussed outside, I think, but something that was fascinating to watch was was a Senate Bill uh, 1101 that finally, I think, has uh, met its uh, conclusion. But it was uh, it was the utilities versus the energy folks, and it was quite a battle. I mean, you, you, were, you were seeing more than a dozen uh, lobbyists, I think, uh, maybe more, um, many more, that were engaged in pushing the bill for the utilities. Uh, it was kind of dubbed the OG&E bill, I mean, as the, kind of the, some of the primary uh, folks that uh, were being uh, 
um, given credit for much of what was in the bill, but you had you had this uh, just straight out effort uh, in the Senate. You had direct mail. I mean, you had a real campaign going with a lot of money being spent uh, by these folks uh, to try to advocate on the issue, to try to sway Republican senators, and yet they couldn't get it done. And I thought it was fascinating that in uh, one of the news conferences, uh, weekly. Uh, wrap-ups with uh, Pro Tem Treat, I mean, he made the statement, in essence, that uh, not getting an agreement with the Petroleum Alliance uh, proved, uh, and and the utilities, led to the ultimate demise of the bill. So, um, if anything, right now, I think what we've seen at the legislature, if you want to talk about the players and who's the 800-pound gorilla, it appears to be uh, the energy folks and the Petroleum Alliance specifically, who were in the middle of this particular fight. But I think, you know, looking forward, there's a lot of other things that we've talked about that may not really um, make a make make a quick play until toward the end of session. I think sports betting, you know, we know mm-hmm. is something that there's a lot of interest when you have the governor interested, you have lawmakers interested, tribes interested, the business community, uh, athlete, you know, the Thunder, other, you know, major entities in our state interested in a bill, whatever it is, there's going to be still a lot of uh, focus and a lot of attention to try to move the needle on that. And then I think, uh, you know, in my mind, the bigger question that we're hearing almost no discussion right now on is, will there be any tax cuts? Will there be the grocery tax, you know, elimination of the grocery tax? Will we do anything on on that front? in a year when we have these enormous surpluses. And I think uh, I think when we get down to it now, we're in the, the battle of where the dollars are going to go, who are going to be the winners and who are not. And um, that's really, I think, what we'll find ourselves talking quite a bit about here in the next few weeks. Right. Well, I mean, speaking of the money, uh, you know, those are kind of long-term obligations for the state, short-term obligations, one-time spending projects. Uh, there's a there's a question of what that might look like between now and the end of session because we had the the Panasonic deal go south and then we had the Volkswagen deal. Well, they went north. Yeah, they both went north, but uh, they went they went south by going north. That's uh, <laughs> so. You know, there's there's a lot of money sitting out there on the table. There does that does the legislature are they inclined to just keep that money sitting uh, in a, in a pot that. Uh, could be used to attract other businesses back to the state or try to go back after some of these businesses that we've talked to in the past? Or do they say, listen, we need some one-time infrastructure investments in the state and we're going to begin to use that and and build up infrastructure with one-time spending projects that then ultimately we could use to try to attract those businesses as well. Um, the you know a couple of bills um, you know one that I, I think are important uh, House Bill 1792 that's uh, Representative Osborne uh, and Senator uh, Rader that passed off the House floor and this is Republican-led uh, criminal justice reform that would be reclassification of a lot of felonies and trying to bring felonies and punishments more in line with uh, you know kind of reasonable expectations of what accountability looks like what reform looks like um, and you know there's a lot of details that are still being worked out on that but the fact that that conversation continues in the Oklahoma House of Representatives and now over to the Senate I think is just further proof that criminal justice reform uh, remains something that has bipartisan support and in this instance is you know led by the Republican majority in the House and then uh, the Senate majority in, in the uh, in the Senate so that's that's an important piece of legislation. Another is uh, House Bill 1987. Uh, that's uh, Representative Dollins. Now, this I think is this is one a bill that uh, if this can make its way through the Senate and make its way to the governor's desk, uh, you know, we will we will know that the legislature has done something that will have saved Oklahomans' lives. Uh, in 20, uh, uh, I'm looking at, at a press release that Representative Dollins put out about this. Um, in in 2022. We had 300 overdoses due to fentanyl. Uh, compare that to 2019 when we had 47. 
this is the, this is an epidemic. It is uh, it is on the rise. And what his bill would do is fentanyl test strips, which are, are you know very affordable. You can go on Amazon buy, and buy them right now, but they won't ship them to Oklahoma because Oklahoma, there's some question as to whether or not they are considered paraphernalia. Uh, what Representative Dolan's bill, House Bill 1987 would do would be to clarify that they are not paraphernalia. So individuals will be able to buy them from Amazon or wherever else that you want to buy them. Uh, you would take a small amount of whatever drug it is that you've got. Uh, you would use this test strip and you, you, you put your, uh, your strip in there. And if you get... Uh, you know, the right results, then you know that what you're taking uh, is you know, relatively certain to not contain fentanyl. Um, and, you know, that the, I think it was extraordinary that the Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, uh, you know, the Oklahoma's you know, chief drug warriors and, and, and the proponents of the war on drugs in Oklahoma, they, they haven't come out in favor of this, but they're not opposing it either. Uh, and I think that it's a realization that people are going to use drugs. Uh, period. End of sentence. Uh, that's we're not ever going to change that. It's it's been going on since uh, the the dawn of time uh, that people will use some sort of intoxicating substance. It's a matter of how do we reduce the harm that that that's caused by that, and that's what House Bill 1987 will do. And I think it will save people's lives. Uh, you know, uh, the risk of overdose, the risk of dying, should not be the way that we try to curb addiction and drug use in the state of Oklahoma. Last week, we talked about how Attorney General Gettner Drummond warned State Superintendent Ryan Walters he can't pass new rules without legislative approval. Despite the opinion, the State Board of Education moved forward with passing new rules targeting school library content and disclosure requirements for school employees. Ryan, what do these new rules do? Well, uh, they really don't do anything. Uh, that's I think that that's the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. They, uh, they really codify what is already existing policy in a lot of these uh, a lot of school districts around the state of Oklahoma and if a school district doesn't have the policy uh, they I think that they would create it if they needed to Uh, they don't need these rules to do that Um, it essentially says that school districts have to uh, have an opportunity for parents uh, or community members to challenge you know books or or material that's kept in in school libraries Uh, it requires uh, schools to give parents the ability to opt their children out of all or parts of a uh, sex education uh, program. Uh, you know, I, I think I said last week or the week before, I, I received a, an opt-out uh, form for my uh, uh, son's school, a class in SAS, I think weeks before uh, he ever had any sort of a sex education program with very clear details of, of what I needed to do if I wanted to take my son out of all or part of that, which of course I did not. Uh, but, uh, you know, that option was mine as a parent. And this is really uh, much ado about nothing, but it's really much ado about what is Ryan Walters going to do when he's when he's uh, what's his next step here? Uh, he he is he continues to promote himself as a divisive uh, figure in the state of Oklahoma. He's he's more of a of a demagogue than a than a public policy um, uh, or, or than a, than a uh, public servant at this point. And that's not just the, the opinion of, of mine. I think that that's an opinion that's you know, shared by members of his own party in the legislature uh, who are are would are just. You know, desperately asking him uh, to to step down from this political soapbox that he is on and get to the business of governing the State Department of Education. There are important questions and important issues and challenges and opportunities uh, that are that are right in front of the State Department of Education in the state of Oklahoma. But we can't get to those whenever one when the superintendent doesn't even show up to his meetings to his to his own meetings, and then whenever you ask him, whenever reporters are asking him where he was at. You know, he gives these vague answers that he was having conversations with parents. Well, that narrows it down, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so I, I think that, you know, we, we do continue to see um, that he, he, in spite of the last several weeks where 
just from about every political corner in the state of Oklahoma, you've seen people say, enough is enough. You've got to get to work. He, he seems undeterred at this point and continues to move forward at, at full speed, doing whatever it is that he, he thinks that he, uh, he should be doing, which is really, I guess, manufacturing TikTok content at this point. Neva. Well, you're right, Ryan, to this extent. I mean, he, what he is not doing is really taking care of business of trying to repair relationships with the legislature or even communicate uh, well with the legislature. I mean, this week, uh, the uh, uh, House A&B Education Subcommittee uh, had asked uh, the superintendent to come before their committee uh, on on Thursday afternoon. Uh, they received information, as I understand it, uh, that the uh, uh, superintendent would not be available. I mean, that is extraordinary to this extent. I think it's important to note that when the legislature is in session, I mean, if you are asked, uh, and you particularly agency uh, uh, agency heads and department heads, if you're asked to come before the legislature, you've served in that in the House and and certainly know this, Ryan. I mean, uh, to refuse, I mean, to refuse without good reason. Um, or to just openly neglect uh, to uh, be responsive, uh, really, I mean, could rise to the level of being guilty of a misdemeanor under Title 21. I mean, that's something people that are in the legislative process at, at, at all levels generally understand. But for the superintendent, again, to not be willing to come to a committee, which uh, was deemed a meeting that would be a friendly Q&A. What they want are specifics. I mean, that's not unreasonable. You know, you, you say that we have all these issues. Where are they? Yeah, the, how, many, how many issues with how many books and how many libraries? How many issues with how many schools not doing what you say they, sh- they are prescribed to do? How many issues with how many teachers in these d- districts uh, across Oklahoma are not in compliance with something? I mean, give us some specifics. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out if there's things we need to do as legislative, uh, as legislative bodies. Let's get on with uh, trying to uh, move the needle on that. But what we're seeing is just this, uh, as you say, I mean, this kind of parallel universe of uh, I'm, we're going to go out and talk and and uh, do what we want to do and continue the political rhetoric when at every turn what you're hearing from government leaders is let's get rid of the rhetoric and let's get down to the facts and information and move forward. So um, I think I think that uh, it's now clear that this is uh, Uh, seems to be really kind of a bipartisan tone. I mean, we've seen uh, members of that particular subcommittee on education, Democrats and Republicans alike, speak out and say, look, we just need to, you know, we just need to have an open conversation with the superintendent, and now's the time. So, um, I, you know, I think it's going to be regrettable if we go through this session and we can't get to a better place uh, with a newly elected statewide office holder that's, that is the superintendent of the State Department of Education uh, and, and walk away from the, his first session uh, with really no results at this point other than uh, a great deal of consternation and a great deal of questions. Maybe that's one of the, the benefits the, of Ryan Walters and, and the Walterverse uh, is, is that he has, he's brought Democrats and Republicans together. I mean, that, <laughs> you know, if, if we're looking for silver linings, but you're, you're right, Neva, whenever he's asked by reporters, uh, you know, you know, basically show me the porn, kind of the, the, the Jerry Maguire version on Oklahoma legislative uh, work right now in, in 2023, he can't do it, uh, and he'll he'll say he'll hold these books up. He'll make these salacious comments. I mean, he did the deal where he uh, apparently paused for several minutes to let people that 
you know, were, were sensitive to leave a room so that he could make more, even more over the top comments. But when you say, where did these books come from? Have you even read these books? Uh, he, he will kind of admit that he hasn't read them. Uh, so he scanned them, scanned them. And then whenever he asked, where did they come from? What schools are they in? You know, he comes back with this vague comment of, well, if, if it's in one school, it's too many. Okay. Well, what's the one school? Uh, and he just, he cannot do that. And that's really, if you think about a, a, a politician who operates uh, under you know that kind of reality to have to sit in front of a committee where you can't just give glib answers because they have a follow-up and you can't just walk away like you can walk away from a reporter uh, you know that's a that's a different dynamic and you know so I suppose uh, in that sense it's understandable that he's avoiding these requests to come talk to the committee and if you're talking about parental choice and school choice which were his his issues out on the campaign trail, if you want to be able to make a difference in terms of moving legislation that can be helpful uh, in that bigger discussion, you have to be able to work with lawmakers. You have to ultimately be able to uh, have some conversations that are significant and serious. And at this point, we've not seen them. So I think uh, uh, I think we'll watch with interest in the next week or two and see if anything breaks differently or we see just a continuation of what we've seen thus far. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org. This Week in Oklahoma Politics is sponsored by Oklahoma State Medical Association, physicians dedicated to providing and increasing access to health care for all Oklahomans. More on its vision and mission at okmed.org.